Hey friends, this is Pastor Elizabeth, and you're listening to the Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear one of my last three sermons as the pastor at Faith Church, in which we go back to one of the first stories I preached on eight years ago, from John chapter 2, when Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding party. And we consider what that story has to say to us in a time of transition for our congregation. I hope that while you're listening, you might hear something that draws you closer to the heart of God. Here we go. Last week, uh, I confessed to you that I often don't remember my sermons after I've preached them. And I suspect that you don't really remember them either. At least not for very long and not every week. And that's totally okay. I trust that the Spirit does what the Spirit wants to do with these words and What God needs to say to you settles in your hearts, and the rest can fall away. And because of that, it's always fascinating to me when a sermon sticks with someone, and they refer to it later, sometimes many times or after many weeks. And often when that happens, the sermon itself kind of morphs over time. It's like the children's game of telephone. As it's told and retold going around the circle, even inside someone's head, the words get adapted a little, and the meaning might start to shift, but there's still something important, something holy that sticks with you. And on my third Sunday here at Faith, back in July of 2014, which feels a little like a lifetime ago, I preached a sermon on this gospel text from John 2, the story of Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and it was the beginning of a series on Jesus' miracles in the Gospels. And the week after uh, I preached it, I went to the men's breakfast at the IHOP, where the sermon was a hot topic of discussion, much to my delight. And the men present had heard the sermon as a word of encouragement for them as they declared that they were the old jars at the wedding, and they were excited to be filled with new wine, either literally or metaphorically, who knows which. But I haven't forgotten that conversation or that breakfast or that sermon So I thought it fitting as I near the end of my time here to go back to this story and see what it has to say to us now. Now back in 2014, we began by talking about the wedding industry and how out of control it can be. I thought that as a culture, we might have learned a little something about the value of gatherings and what really matters. Uh, when everything was shut down in 2020, when weddings had to be much smaller affairs without sit-down dinners or hundreds of guests. But I learned this week that in 2021, the average cost of a wedding in the United States was exactly the same as in 2019, before the pandemic. And that average was right around $28,000. Now, weddings in Washington State are a little bit cheaper or less expensive averaging 23,000, but not nearly as low as our neighbors in Idaho and Wyoming, where weddings are the least expensive in the whole country, coming in around 16K, not including the engagement ring. (laughs) But if you get married in the Northeast, especially in New York or New Jersey, you can expect to spend nearly $50,000 on this one-day event. 
on a venue and caterers, photographers, flowers, favors, and of course, an officiant. You can't forget that. Keep in mind, though, that the median individual income in the U.S. at the same time period was around $35,000. So lots and lots of couples are spending the equivalent of a year's wages for the average earner on one big party. And all that is to say, weddings in this country are a very big deal. But the concept of a wedding being a big to-do is not a recent development. In Jesus' day, while they may not have spent a year's wages on photographers and flowers, weddings were generally a full week-long feast to which the entire village and probably neighboring villages would be invited. There was no culling of a guest list for these first century weddings. It was an open invitation to everyone for a full week of feasting at the groom's home, which is how Jesus and his mom and his disciples found themselves at Cana of Galilee, an otherwise insignificant town where Jesus turned water into wine in his first public miracle. Now, running out of wine at such an event would not only have put a damper on the party, but it really would have been a disaster, a social disgrace that would have brought shame on the family and might have conveyed bad luck to the newly married couple. When I read this story, I would like to think, oh, it's good for Jesus to start with such a small issue. Running out of wine at a wedding is certainly not ideal, but is it really such a big problem? But historians tell us that, yes, this is a big problem, that it was a painful situation of human need, an issue far more serious than we might think. So it's interesting that the one who notices the need isn't Jesus, but his mother. And I have to admit that as a mom myself, I love this. I love that the subtitle of this story could be Mother Knows Best. (laughs) And I can imagine, as I bet you can, the scene at the wedding, Jesus is hanging out with his young adult bachelor disciple friends, telling stories and relaxing and joking around and having a drink, maybe doing a little people watching. When Mary, who actually doesn't get a name in John's gospel, she's only known as Jesus' mother, walks toward him clearly with a purpose in mind and with great concern, with eyebrows raised, she says to Jesus, they are out of wine. And Jesus responds, woman, why are you telling me? How is this my business? And this sounds a little rude to our 21st century ears, but it wasn't necessarily so. More likely, Jesus addressing his mother as woman was just a way of him distancing himself from his mom a little bit. Maybe he's asserting his independence as a young man, his need to make his own decisions by way of his internal compass instead of by influence of anyone else, even his mom. But it's clear that Jesus knows what Mary is asking him because he responds, my time or my hour has not yet come. And I don't know what that means exactly, 
except that Jesus continues using that terminology all the way to the cross in John's gospel when he finally says the hour is come. So perhaps what he means is that the ultimate moment when heaven and earth meet isn't here yet. It won't come until the veil is torn and death is defeated in the cross and resurrection. But something about Mary's nudge lets us get just a foretaste of that heavenly banquet, a glimpse of heaven opening. Just as Jesus had promised to Nathanael just a few verses earlier. And then without Jesus saying anything else to Mary or anyone else, Mary goes to the servants and simply says, do whatever he tells you. And then she walks away, leaving it up to Jesus. So we might assume sighing with resignation. Jesus responds, all right, fill these old jars with water. Now, these would have been ceremonial water jars in which the Jews would have washed their hands before eating in order to be ritually clean. And they were huge. They would have held 20 or 30 gallons each, 120 to 180 gallons total, or six to 900 of today's wine bottles, 50 to 75 cases if you're doing the math. And the purification ritual must have been completed because the jars were empty, and in them Jesus saw the potential for newness and transformation in something old and empty and dry. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told the servants, and they filled them to the brim. Then he simply said, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And there was no big show. In fact, the only ones who witnessed this first miracle were the servants and Jesus' disciples who saw and believed. The master of the banquet didn't know where the wine had come from. He had no idea what had just taken place to save his party. All he knew was that it was the best wine he had tasted. And that in this simple act, Jesus had begun turning the old order on its head. Because they were used to being served the good wine first in those early days when people had first arrived and were still paying attention and then moving on to the equivalent of a nice box of Franzia or two-buck chuck when people were too drunk to notice or care. But Jesus didn't turn water into the cheap stuff. He offered a gift far more generous a sign of God's abundant grace where it was least expected. And the question for us is, why? Why did Jesus let his mom push him into performing this miracle if his time had not yet come? 
Why did he choose to turn water into wine when he could have solved the problem some other way or, in a more righteous move, use the alcohol-free occasion and the captive audience of the crowd to begin his teaching ministry? Why did he turn water into the very best wine they could have instead of something marginal or mediocre or less extravagant? Why did he waste time and energy on something like this when clearly there were widows and orphans in the towns who needed care and those who hadn't just run out of wine but also food and water as well? One possible answer is that this is God's way of illustrating what Jesus will say later in John, which is that he came not only that we might have life, but life abundant. That this is God's way of illustrating that gladness and joy are part of the plan. That we were not created to be solemn, strict people who only care about rules. That God loves to hear God's children laughing and celebrating just as we love to hear our own. That keeping the party going was worth a miracle to God. Or maybe it's a sign of God's strange compassion that Jesus cares about all of us, no matter how dramatic our stories or our need, that God really is listening, even if we think our problems are too small to waste God's time. Or maybe it's a story telling us that we, like Mary, are called to nudge God toward situations of need. That it is indeed important and even effective for us to say to God, they've run out of wine. Or they're fighting again. Or they don't have a place to live. Or innocent children are dying. In a week in which there are so many instances about, we, about which we could nudge or even rage at God. The tragedy in Uvalde, the ongoing war in Ukraine, increasing coronavirus cases, abuses in the Southern Baptist Church. It's hard to imagine God paying attention to the wine at a wedding feast. It's hard to imagine God caring so much about the people celebrating a marriage. But maybe the real point of the story isn't the wine at all. Maybe it's that God can take something old and dry, something that's become perfunctory, routine, something that's lost its meaning, something that might have become empty ritual, and God can give it new life. Maybe the hope for us is that God hasn't given up on using old jars to make new wine. That though we are tired and weary, frustrated and disappointed, though we have doubts, old vessels like the church, like us, can still be places of transformation. 
Maybe something new is right around the corner for this place where empty old jars are ready to be filled. No matter what we think actually happened in those jars at that wedding in Cana, or how exactly those hand-washing sinks became full of the finest wine, we have to admit that this was a place where the possibility of resurrection became real. Because the transforming power of God's love burst into the world in an unexpected and powerful way. And if we believe that, we can begin to believe that God's transforming love just might burst into our world, into our old jars, into our lives, our church, our community, our country, just the same. God will continue to make new wine, even in old, dry jars. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Faith Church Podcast. If what you heard was meaningful to you, please share this podcast with a friend. If you have any questions, or if we can support you on your spiritual journey in some way, don't hesitate to reach out through our website at www.faithunited.org. Tune in next week as we celebrate the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on absolutely everyone, including us. Until then, take care.